Welcome to episode 20 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast. This show was recorded July the 3rd, 2007. As you may know, we record this show using a technology called Skype, which is voice over internet. And sometimes Skype can be a little bit buggy, as it was today. So just bear with us. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here are the Spokesman. Well, welcome to episode 20 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. Thanks for joining us once again. We have a relatively full house today, starting at the top of my list with Carlton Reed from BikeBiz.com and QuickRelease.tv. Good afternoon, Carlton. Hello there. Next up is Joe Beer, coach, trainer, writer extraordinaire. Joe, welcome back to the Spokesman. Thank you very much, David. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. And finally, a voice that we haven't heard in a while, but we're glad she's back from Kryptonite. It's Donna Tosi. Hey, Donna. Good morning, everybody. Hey, it's great to have you all here. Um, well, let's just talk real quickly about some breaking news. Carlton, you brought something to us, uh, a press release that you just got. Tell us about um, a site that I love for its news, but I, I don't love because it hurts my eyes, and that's uh, cyclingnews.com. What's what's going on with them? Yeah, it's a, it's a tough site to read sometimes. Bought by Future Publishing of the UK, who do Cycling Plus, MBUK, a whole bunch of magazines like that, and they've paid £2.2 million, pounds, what's that, $4, $4 million, and uh, they're going to make this huge, fantastic, uh, website all linked into bikeradar.com you know i was i was on the online last night uh, just you know talk, looking at topics for the show and i, I came across the bikeradar.com teaser does anybody have an idea what, what the heck that's going to be joe have you been given inside skinny on this uh no i've spoken to um a person that works at Bike Radar that just said, watch this space. There's going to be um, basically a lot of content pulled from either people from other cycling websites that are going to be moved over or other websites. And it seems as though the uh, first acquisition has been made. Don't whether other websites get pulled in, but I think it's going to be something special. They've been working on it for ages. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, 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 it seems like they have, but uh, Joe, when you say you think it's going to be something special, what do you mean by that? Do you have, do you have an inkling of what, what you think we might be looking at there? I think the content um, really uh, up to date, but also from lots of different angles so that they're going to look at different, um, uh, you know, different sort of areas of cycling, not just race orientated or so forth. Um so, uh, and I guess there's technologies years ago when most of the sites kicked off, they didn't think about YouTube because it wasn't available. So I think we're going to see just a, a widening of how we look at the, uh, the cycling uh, websites. And uh, yeah, I think, I think there's certainly the, the person that I spoke to was lots of things and would give slight hints, but um, I'm sworn to secrecy. Hmm. So, so what about the cyclingnews.com? Um, I mean, that's, that's a pretty l- large amount of money, don't you think, Carlton, for uh, just a cycling news website, or, or do you think it's worth it? Do you have thought of that, really? No, 2.2 million pounds is, yeah, it's quite a lot for a, a, a web-only company. You're, you're right. 
but they have got masses and masses of um, back catalogue. They've got all this Tour de France coverage from way back when it was '95 when when they founded. So that they're paying from many many years ago. That'll be ported through to uh, Bike Radar. Of course, it, it'll probably stay as CyclingNews.com. It's not going to change. For instance, the it's owned by a, a company called Nap, uh, K N A P P, and uh, Gerald Nap is out of the picture, and all the because we'll move into a new office in Australia, but we're not going to see um, this site moving to the UK, for instance. It's going to it's going to remain in Australia, and roughly the same content that's been there. But hopefully, a, a new skin will be put on, a new codex will be behind the site, because it is in many ways uh, dreadful. Well, well, Donna, you know a little bit about redesigning a site. You just redid the the Kryptonite site. Uh, that, that's that's no small task, is it? No, it's not. They really do have their work cut out for them. And I, I have to think that that's part of what has stalled by com because I was hearing back at the end of February that site would be launched around April, but I know full well what can happen and the the pitfalls that can take place and deadlines get moved because of who knows what and things you would not even think about. So I can understand where, where that's been stalled and that if they're going to do an overhaul of cycling, you see it for months yet. So what do you guys think? I mean, it, it, at least here in the U.S., the, the major cycling news website is probably velonews.com. Do you think Velonews is feeling going to feel the pressure from this? Are they already feeling the pressure from this? What do you, what, do you have a sense of that? Anybody? You know, I I I tend not to go on Velonews as much as Cycling News. I think Cycling News it does have a bit more up to date content, um, possibly because where where it's based and it has correspondence everywhere, whereas you often get is very um, U.S. centric. Cycling News is just international. In fact, when I've done stories on them, they've hated it when I've called them Australian. They've always come back and said, no, you must call us international. <laughs> I'm with Carlton. I mean, I'm based in the U.S., and cyclingnews.com is where I go first. So, Velo may be feeling some, some pressure. Yeah, me too. I go to uh, Cycling News, um, and, it, and exactly, uh, yeah, it. It, the problem with Velo News is it is a bit too US orientated. So I think if Bike Radar is going to do it properly, they're going to have to get writers to be throwing in content. Well, it's, inter- it's interesting uh, uh, that, that so many people. See, I, it's, it's funny. I said it at the beginning, and I don't like. Go- I, I, I agree with you about the content on cyclingnews.com, but for me, it has been so painful on my eyes. I just haven't been able to go there. Um, as much as I would like to. Uh, so I guess I'll have to give it more of a fair shake, won't I? It doesn't even have things like RSS feeds. There's just so many things which you have on a website nowadays. I mean, it's, it was founded in 1995. It's almost stayed the same since 1995. And Bike Radar, or the, the behind-the-scenes stuff that'll come on, is going to be you know web... 2.0. So they'll get all the, the, the fancy stuff, uh, the community building stuff, the sharing stuff, uh, the RSS feed. All these different things can now come onto Cycling News, which will make it a, a much more useful site rather than have to click through. And it's, it's entered to leave that site. And can, if they can modernize it, it'll be just stunning. 
Yeah, I think I think the lack of RSS feeds is probably the thing that's kept me from from going there because uh, when I'm out there collecting the news for my show, I'm using a, a news reader more than anything. It's just so much more efficient. And uh, I've I've even tried to to hack in sort of a homegrown RSS feed for them and haven't been able to do it. And I've been able to do it with other sites. So you're right. Hopefully that'll get better. Well, let's talk about uh, let's switch gears for a second and talk about what is going on this week, and that is the start of the Tour de France. And unlike uh, previous years, um, this year we're starting in London on. 7-7, which is, of course, the anniversary of the uh, terrorist attacks in London. Um, Carlton and Joe, maybe you can give us a little bit of insight into uh, what we can expect out of the London start and a little bit about the hype that's going on there in London. Over to you, and I'm... I'm uh, <laughs> I don't think um, this this far away in, uh, in sleepy North Devon, I don't think I know much about hype in London. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, there hasn't been a huge amount. The, the, the Guardian's just had a, a big supplement, which is one of the big... And that's almost been the best thing that's happened. Um, if you're away, certainly if you're away from London, you know, the London newspapers have been doing it because they're going to close roads and stuff. But it hasn't really impacted on, on the general populace in, in the media to date. And that'll change in, in the run-up. But I know you, you mentioned there the, the seven... We are having to do, um, terrorist problems at the moment um, with the, the doctor bombings, but uh, I, that isn't going to be my number one fear when I when I go to London to watch the Tour de France. It's going to be the rain. We've had six weeks of torrential rain in the UK, and I thought, right, it's going to stop for just in time Tour de France. And I've been clicking through to the BBC website for weather, and it looks as though it could be raining at the weekend, which is 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 nightmare scenario. Do you think that the lack of hype about the Tour de France in London uh, has anything to do with all of the scandals in cycling going on, or is it just sort of a lack of interest in cycling in general? I'd say it's it just... Oh, sorry, after no, you, Carlton. Go ahead, Joe. No, 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 no. go for it, Joe. For it. Go, 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 go. I was going to say it, it just reiterates really how small a sport cycling is in the uk um if we had the world cup we would have been um uh, about six months out but as it's the tour de france a few people know it's going on but most people are totally unaware that you know the the greatest cyclists on the planet are going to be riding around uh, london and then heading off to canterbury on sunday it's just i, I think it's just ignorance of a that uh, we've seen here is just uh, getting in the way of, uh, of, of, of transport on the roads and therefore cycling is unfortunately pushed to the outskirts. Even though it's in the capital, it still, for most people, will be, um, be uh, way under their radar. Mm. So Sadly I, I, true. Yeah, go ahead, Carlton. So, uh, in other words... It, this just has to do with the lack of popularity. I mean, people would rather be watching football and, and, and things like that than, than watching cycling. But do you think that there will be the spectators out there on the road that, that the Tour de France organizers would like to see? Do you, uh, Carlton, what do you think? They're talking, talking three million. I mean, if, if you look at the, the TV coverage of, say, Paris on the last day, you often see you know, tens of thousands of people not watching the Tour de France coming through. So even in Paris, it's not the, the be-all and end-all of, of, of that city. Um, 
but that something big going means lots of people will just be watching because they're going to follow the crowds and they're not going to be able to to get through town anyway so they're going to be forced to watch <laughs> we will force you to watch the tour de france <laughs> yep whether you like it or not you're watching so how are you guys watching the tour de france because yeah i know neither of you is in london but i know you're both going to be there so uh, joe how are you planning on watching the, the race um, I'm lucky enough, uh, my wife and I are lucky enough to be uh, guests of Power Bar. There's a sports nutrition conference in Birmingham for uh, the two days leading up to the prologue. And then we're going watching it from the V area, which I hope they've got lots of uh, umbrellas or something. Because if Carlton's right, uh, it's going to be a very wet uh, prologue. And we could see uh, quite a few spills, I will predict. So you'll be in the VIP area, and Carlton, where will you be? Uh, I've got so I'll be wandering in and out of, sad to say, the, the VIP areas and the village depart, etc. I've got a, a a trip in one of the Aquarelle um, fireman vehicles for the going around the prologue quickly, but uh, that takes an hour at least to do prologue route, which is a, a couple of kilometres long. But the, you know, the publicity caravan takes a long time to, to get round. So I'm looking forward to that. Do you have to dress? Sorry, do you have to dress as a fireman, Carlton? <laughs> well, I, I, I am now, so it's just my standard, standard clothes, really. So, okay. so, so whenever we do the spokesman, you're dressed as a fireman, or you, do you change occupations every couple of weeks? <laughs> no, no, my wife likes me as a fireman. What can I do? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, I think okay. I'm completely jealous of, of both of you because we will be across the pond watching on television and it won't be nearly as much fun, although we might be a little more. Well, and, and Donna, we'll get to listen to your friend Bob Roll say things like the Tour de France. Tour de France. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to, you know, Donna, that brings up a really good question because I know you're friends with him and you talk to him, you know, every once in a while. And, and I'm wondering... Is is his pronunciation of the name of this event uh, something that's just become tongue in cheek with him, or is this just the way it rolls off his tongue? No pun intended. No, he actually speaks French quite well. But um, years ago, he started as is a, a joke somewhere along the line, I believe, and it's it's sort of stuck now in a sort of his trade beautiful French understand. So it is. Um, it's it's more of, of a trademark at this point, I think, and, and something that peop- most people enjoy. And I, I did see a, a gentleman come up to him at Interbike, which is the bicycle trade show in Las Vegas, and and really get at him. He was a Frenchman, and, and you know, it's toward day, toward day, And Bob's like, uh, I know. <laughs> so, so I think it's more fun for him at this point. <laughs> You know, I always I, I always wonder if you know Phil Liggett and Paul Sherwin if their ears are burning when he starts saying Tour de France. So, so. <laughs> uh, no, it's it's tongue in cheek. Well, that's that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Um, Carlton, would you like to talk about this particular ad campaign that you brought our attention to? Do you mean the sloggy one? Yeah, that's the one. Who's first of all for those of us who are not in the know? Who's sloggy? Oh, is that not a brand that you're aware of? Um, no, it didn't come with my fireman suit. <laughs> it's a German underwear brand. And uh, they've got this, can I say cracking? They've got this cracking uh, ad campaign with a bunch of um, uh, women on bicycles wearing, well, thongs. And they've rolled it out before. It 
Luxembourg, and they've brought it out again. And it was a, it caused a huge storm when it was in uh, Luxembourg for the for the 2002 prologue. Uh, we're much more open-minded across here um, in London, so I'm sure it'll elicit no responses whatsoever in uh, in London. Just another racing. Yeah. Well, you dropped out again, but this gives me yeah. this gives me a good opportunity to bring Tim Grawl in. He's finally back online, so hang on one second. Hey, Tim, are yeah. you there? Can you hear me? Yeah, there you are. Okay. Sorry about that. No, 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 no worries. Hey, um, Tim. Hi. So with us today, Tim, are um, Carlton, Joe Beer, and, as you heard, Donna. So along the lines of the Tour de France, uh, you may recall that uh, a week or two ago, the UCI came out with this pledge that they wanted the riders to sign. I've got a copy of it in front of me. Uh, it basically says that I'm not involved in doping, I'm not involved in the Puerto affair, and uh, if it's found that I, I am involved later, uh, I'll take the suspension, and then I'll also pay the UCI a fine uh, equal to my entire annual salary for 2007. Uh, anybody think that this, this pledge is, is of any value and that it's actually going to make a difference uh, in, in the world of cycling and in the world of doping? Uh, Donna, do you have a sense of, of, of what people's attitude might be about this thing? I don't. I actually, I've been so buried with all of the things going on with our brand relaunch of Kryptonite that I haven't had a chance to do due diligence on this, but I did look at it this morning and I have my own opinions. Well, what are your I opinions? Don't know. <laughs> as I was reading through it this morning, I, I was sort of checking off the different paragraphs as I went through and, and agreed wholeheartedly with the first four or so. And, and then I got to the last bit of it and, and I just, I wonder if any of the cyclists are really to heart since, you know, Last year before the tour, there were a lot of people who said, you know, we're not part of this Operation Puerto, and, and it's it's not us, we're not part of it, and they were kicked out of the tour anyway. So here they're asked to sign something that says, I, I'm not part of this, and all of a sudden, I, I don't know, that just doesn't ring too true to me. And then, you know, the last bit about, I declare that, you know, my DNA is at the disposal of Spanish law for forever, for a certain amount of time, for what purpose, it's not really clear. Um, and I'm not really sure that after all the botched investigations that I would trust the, the Spanish teams that are looking into this. And I certainly don't know that I would trust the UCI. I mean, they're, they're just getting silly at this point, I think. Um, I've had conversations with a few other people about this. And back to an article on cyclingnews.com that we had talked about earlier from June 21st about the UCI going after the men in black. Um, <laughs> and I don't know if you guys had, had read about this, but you know that these are Ann Gripper, who is the director of UCI's anti-doping program, has said that we have information that says that some of the people we're watching train in strange places. Well, what what does that mean? And that they are the men in black because they wear neutral clothing on their training rides rather than their team kit, which helps them avoid attention by UCI controller. 
the UCI, their phone numbers, their cell phone numbers, their addresses, they have constant contact with them. I'm, I'm not sure they're trying to hide from the UCI while they're on the road. So I don't know that I would, I would, you know, if I was a writer, I'm not sure what I would think about all of this. I'm not sure that I would be ready to sign this. It's sort of like the black helicopters that all the conspiracy theorists here in the U.S. Are, are, are always talking about. I mean, who are these black riders? Give me a break. Um, Joe, Carlton, and any thoughts from you guys about uh, uh, whether or not this is something that the riders are, 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 are going for, whether they're signing it? Um, I, I guess it's just another step in the direction of trying to formalize this idea that the, the riders are uh, role models, they have certain financial repercussions. If somebody really wants to cheat, they're going to do it and maybe even uh, not declare their earnings or have it through a, a, a different means. I can see the point, but it has to be down to much more rigorous and worldwide testing procedures that are absolutely concrete. Riders signing a piece of paper they've they've been um in many cases on record many times saying they didn't dope they've never used things and months or years later we find out they did so we really can't believe people based on face value ask them in the most rigorous and i think you know the most uh just well thought out and well practiced means not hope that somebody's going to say oh i've just broken the rules sorry here's my last year's earnings you know i i I recently interviewed the the ceo of the agency for cycling ethics and his problem with the way that the uci is doing things is that everything is confrontational everything is is adversarial and his point and what his agency is trying to do and i think you're you're probably all familiar with team slipstream and uh, the the fact that they're they're doing a lot of individual independent testing of their riders to just absolutely make the point that, yeah, we're all riding clean. So I wonder if this is just more of that adversarial UCI versus rider where the riders have to just continually protest their innocence because, you know, they can't all be doing it. And, and, and those that, that aren't um, are just continually having to say, we didn't do it. We didn't do it. We didn't do it. And now we have to sign a pledge that says we didn't do it. And even if we did, you know, you can find us. Um, is the adversarial relationship part of the problem, Carlton? Yes, it's it's very poor. I, I would have much more trust in uh, document if the UCI had to, bods had to lose a salary if they blabbed to the press. If the laboratories, if the technicians, if they make mistakes, they lose a, a year's salary. As long as it's uh, everybody, if everybody involved in the whole of this uh, scenario also and also had signed up to an ethical charter, fine. Why just the riders? This should be it should be a teamwork. Everybody involved here should clean this up. But we know that the the laboratories are not going to sign up for this. It's a breach of their human rights. Riders, they're rats. What can we do? Yeah, and I, and I guess you you could probably add to that the promoters and the teams and the, and the coaches as well, right? Everybody, everybody, and it, it, it's it's. I think what you're saying is right. It's adversarial. And it's adversarial against only one bunch of people, and they are not the only people. If if there has been a, a drug problem in in some, it's a whole bunch of people who've been sustaining it. So this should be across the board. 
if we're, we're truly going to get uh, uh, this rooted out. I, I don't think that's going to root it out because if you're willing to, uh, to lie and cheat and do all these different things uh, previously, yes, so it, uh, on this new thing, it, it's just it's, it's papering over the cracks, really. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Well, what about uh, um, what about the 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 rules that go on in with the UCI as well? <clears throat> Joe, one of the things we talked about last time we were here was we talked about Graham Obrey and uh, and his movie. And one of the things that was sort of silly in that movie was the scene where the UCI all of a sudden decides to change the rules on Graham, and, and he goes in, and he has to literally modify his bike in the in the middle of a race, and he's sawing off the nose of his saddle and, and doing all sorts of different things. Carlton found this new rule, and Carlton, have you found out whether or not this rule is a parody or whether or not it's true? Uh, they won't UCI. I don't know why they don't like me, but the UCI won't return my calls and won't uh, <laughs> confirm anything. Ooh. I, 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 well, I, t- I talked to the, the Guardian journalist, uh, Matt Seaton, and I said to him, I really shouldn't have given my real name, should <laughs> If I'm going to talk to the UCI, I've got to give some sort of uh, pretend name. Otherwise, they'll never talk to me. Um, I haven't, but it, it rings so true. And it, when they're talking about soaring off the saddles, um, which you almost think is a, is a joke on Graham O'Brien and that film, it's all to do with the time trialers uh, using these, these Adamo ITM, the Cobb saddle. I don't know if you've seen that. You can, you can link to it uh, in show notes, David. Mm-hmm. It's this very, very cut-off um, saddle, which, which triathletes uh, are now using. The guy is trying to, to get rid of that because it forces you into a very radical position. Um, and it's meant to be like the mantis position, which, which everybody hated uh, Floyd Landis for, for using. And then if you look at it, there's also stuff in there about you must no longer file off the lawyer's lips on your drop so all these silly rules that the UCI loves to do so it just rings true that uh, they have asked people to do this you know I always thought that those as you call them the lawyer's lips were, were, were really just for the, the base consumer uh, I, I could never imagine uh, a professional cyclist using those I mean just think about how, how much longer it's going to take to do a wheel change uh, out there on the road. So I, I always thought that those were just for the consumers, Carlton. You may as well use track nuts. What's the point of using a quick release if you've also got to keep on these amazing retention devices? No, most people, well, most enthusiasts will, will try and get rid of those, those lawyers' lips because it, it just makes a mockery of quick release, of course. And, and by the way, I can't, can't imagine why the UCI won't take your calls. I mean, if, if if they listen to this show, I mean, there's there's no reason, Carlton. I'm, I'm going to put on an ad. Um, you know, tell me what you want me to ask, and I'll call. And then <laughs> response. Hey, how was the big wheeled ballyhoo? Um, well, according to what Mark and I were hoping for, uh, we didn't have as many people as we were hoping for. But apparently, we're the only ones thinking that uh, 300 people would show up. Um, all the exhibitors and everybody that came was expecting about 100, and that's what we had. So uh, in that case, it was successful. And then from the case of uh, exhibitors, they were there to demo bikes. And, 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 you know, if you go to most bike events that are in festival style, there's not, you know, people aren't there just to demo bikes. They're to, there to look at other stuff or to ride 
or that kind of thing, where these everybody that showed up was there to demo bikes. So all of the exhibitors that were there sent out more bikes than usual for their demos. And so even with less amount of people, they got more people on their bikes. So they were really happy with that. And uh, in all, it was just a fun event. Uh, we got to hang out days uh, and ride bikes, ride big wheels. And uh, the big thing of the show was we had a 36er there. We had a bike with 36-inch wheels. Uh, so everybody was riding around on that. But, uh, yeah, it was a good time, and we're definitely doing it next year. Uh, same place and probably the same weekend. Wow, well, congratulations. It sounds like it was it was a lot of fun. Okay, I didn't hear anything you just said. <laughs> <laughs> I said congratulations. It sounds like it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. Definitely. That's not what I heard. You were really insulting the poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> There's no need for that, David. <laughs> okay, so I won't edit it out, uh, Tim, just so you can hear that I actually did say that. Um, well, well, that's great. I mean... Uh, um, so you're going to do this again? Are you going to do it in other locations? You're going to do just do it in the same location? Well, that's there's been a lot of questions going around because originally, the idea of the event was um, Salsa and Gary Fisher were only three hours away from the location, and it was just going to be them come down, fifty of us there, drink some beers, ride some bikes, and have a good time. Well, it kind of grew out from underneath us without us really doing much. And so that's kind of why more exhibitors came and that kind of thing. It kind of grew into a, quote, real event. <clears throat> but the thing about where we had it, which is kind of in the middle of nowhere, um, and people would think, you know, there's not good mountain biking in Iowa. Well, there is good mountain biking in northeast Iowa where we had the event. And there's um, the place that we had camping in the exhibit area is this big flat area that's a hundred yards from the trailhead and so it's the perfect place to have an event and so as uh, the plan for 2008 is we're going to do it again in Decora um, again about the same weekend uh, there's been I've had I've been questioned by several people whether or not we should do a big wheel ballyhoo you know west coast east coast in in Iowa and I don't know if I actually want to do that many events. So right now the plan is just to keep it in decor and see how it goes in 2008, and we'll make that decision next summer. Well, it sounds like a good event. That's great. And uh, do keep us posted on, on your plans for next year so that we can hype it and, and see if we can't bring you more people as well. Yeah. Yeah. Fun. So we're definitely looking forward to it. Well, that's good. Hey, you know, guys, I, I ran across an article, and I think I sent you all the link to it Um about mountain bike stage racing, uh, any of you have any have any experience with with mountain bike stage racing or any any comments about it? Tim, do you, do you, do you know anything about mountain bike stage racing? Well, I I laugh because um, I read that and they were talking about how it's a new thing. When Dirt Rag's been doing their punk bike race, I think this was their thirteenth year, and it's a stage mountain bike race. And, I mean, it's small and very unorganized and doesn't really count for anything, but it's still a stage race in mountain bike. But uh, I think it's interesting. They get to cover a lot more miles than they would um, otherwise, and uh, and I, I can see why, you know, they're taking the successful part of road racing and just putting it on mountain biking, and it makes sense. I wonder I wonder how it is for, for spectators um, on, a, on a stage race where when you're doing a regular, say, a cross-country race you know, at a ski resort, uh, the spectators can, can stake out their, their places out there on the ski resorts, and, and they can watch the riders come around you know, for each of their laps. Um, but in stage racing, Tim, do you have any sense of, of how that is for the spectators? Well, I'm sure it's going to be harder because um, 
you know they're only going to pass by once. But um, I don't know exactly what they're doing with this this route. But I'm assuming they're going to set it up where it'll be easy to drive to the next place and see him go by, and then drive ahead of him, that kind of thing. Um, I know in uh, a couple of the races I've done, that's uh, I've covered they go into different spots on the, on the race course. So. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I can see it's going to be a lot harder because you can't just pick one spot and watch everybody go by a couple times. So, but uh, I am interested to see how it goes, and they have some great racers showing up for the first one. So, uh. yeah, I kind of like it. I think it's a, it's a it's a great idea. And I mean, as if as a rider, uh, it has uh, much more appeal to me because, as you said, of, of all the ground that you cover and 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 the different varied terrain that you can be on uh, on any given day. Um, Carlton, any any mountain bike stage racing going on over in Europe? There's the VTT Tour de France, which is the Velo to Terrain. Um, so mountain bike Tour de France, the, the, that's been in existence for a wee while. Um, possibly not 13 years. Um, it, it's never been huge. Um, so it, it, mountain biking is very much a, a one-day thing, isn't it? So it'd be, it'd be interesting if it takes off. Yeah, you know, it's, I, I forgot about the mountain bike Tour de France. Um, how many? Do, do you recall how many days we're talking about for the mountain bike Tour de France, and uh, uh, about it's, how many it's, competitors it's, they get? It's like a week, and it's a couple of hundred because it, it's not a pro thing. Real good. All right, we've we've arrived at that point in our show, and Tim, you're going to be so glad that you 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 joined us late in the show because we've arrived uh, arrived at that point in the show where we love to talk about our favorite cycling tips or our current cycling rants. So uh, we're going to start with the person who, who, who's been absent lately because uh, she must have been storing up her cycling tips. So Donna, it's your turn first. Whoa, I'm impressed. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to go on a rant and I'm going to take the party line and, or the, the company line and, and my cycle tip for everybody will be to block the bike out and about and when you're at home so that you have your bike all summer to have great rides on, take vacations with and go to the beach with or ride to work with or around town or and so that you have your bike and the thieves don't. Okay, and next up, the person who, I don't know what you've been doing with your microphone, Joe, but you're up. What is your favorite cycling tip or rant for this week? This one might be, uh, it might be a bit simple. It might have been said before. If you insert your tires with the brand name directly next to the valve, it makes it a lot easier to pinpoint where punctures are because you can work back using the hole in the tube to then find where the obstruction is in the tire. Any good? Uh, It's been done before, but we'll accept it. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Hey. Yeah? Yeah, go ahead, Joe. I was going to say, um, I, I was riding with a friend uh, uh, on Saturday, and because of the amount of rain that uh, Carlton said, and it's about 25% of what we normally have in June, there's lots of debris on the roads, and we had four punctures in two hours. So I was, I was practicing what I preached very much on the cutting edge. I like a guy who uses his own tips. <laughs> All right, Carlton. <laughs> No, 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 Donna. I know you. I know you use yours as well. I'm positive of that. 
Actually, uh, if if you'll allow me, just a, a personal one here before I, before we go to Carlton. Um, as we were packing up the house in L.A., getting ready to move out here to Park City, uh, I came across four bike locks that were in my garage. I threw away two of them, and the two that I kept were from guess which brand? Well, I hope I know. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and it wasn't Mozzie bicycles, just so you know. <laughs> Uh, yes, they were indeed my my two kryptonite locks. The other ones uh, went to Goodwill because uh, they weren't going to work for me. So, yeah. Uh, so I follow your tip as well. Well, thank you. Okay, Carlton. Uh, you've had time to pull out that book of a thousand tips. What's the <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's across the other side of the room now. I can't reach it. <laughs> what's, your, what's your tip how for about, this week? Well, how about um, I, I paid a visit to a... Um, a place last week called Recycle Your Bike in a, a place called Biker, would you believe, which is a, a suburb of Newcastle. And uh, I would just say, if you've got any old stuff in your garage like you, you had, then maybe donate it to your local um, bike recycling place. I'm sure that loads and loads of your bits and your bikes and anything that you can, you can pass across to them. Hey, that's that's a great tip, and uh, that's a little bit of what we did when we moved. Is we we did a lot of donating of old bike parts and things like that. So that's a great tip. I like that one a lot because there's a lot of people out there who could use some some new bike parts or some new bikes and maybe can't afford them. So if you're getting rid of stuff, that's a great tip, Carlton. Thanks. All right, Tim, have you had a chance to go through your book of a thousand tips? Um, actually, I, I went through one of my websites and found a good one. Um, uh, it's called. A, it's actually a product recommendation. It's called Citra Wipes, and it's from Zogix.com, Z-O-G-I-C-S. And it's basically like, uh, you know, little handy wipes, except they're that citrus that helps get grease off your hands. So if you're commuting or riding and you have to stop and work on your bike and you get grease all over your hands, uh, these are perfect for getting them off. Hey, that's a great uh, tip. You can check those out at Zogix.com. Oh, that's excellent. Okay, my tip for this week is extremely simple. Uh, and it won't help your riding technically. It won't keep your bike in better shape, but it will make you a happier cyclist. Just moved from L.A. to Park City, Utah, and something that I've been ranting about in L.A. is something that I have to rave about here in Park City, and that is when I would go riding in L.A. and I would pass another cyclist, I would wave. Nine times out of ten, the other cyclist would just keep their head down and ignore the fact that I had said hello. I went on my first ride here yesterday, and every single cyclist I passed waved, and it made for just a friendlier, happier cycling experience. So my tip, it may even be a little bit of a rant, when you're out there on the road and you pass another cyclist, your kindred spirits, say hi. It doesn't cost you anything, and it actually will enhance your ride and enhance your enjoyment as well as the other cyclist's enjoyment. So it may sound really namby-pamby. Really touchy feely, but it works. So say hi to the other cyclists. I think that's a great one. So I think that's going to do it for today, Joe. I, I, before we go, I want to wish you a happy birthday. We're we're going to spare you the singing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so happy, happy birthday. birthday! Thank you. And and of course, we're not going to ask how old you are. We know you're only twenty three years old. So. No, this is officially a veteran. <laughs> oh, one of those birthdays. 
Yes. Aha, yes. I had one of those a year ago, so I know what you're talking about. Well, listen, everyone, thank you so much for joining us for the the Joe Beer birthday show. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's just go down the list and uh, let everybody know where you can be found and how you can be contacted, starting with Donna. I can be found in a couple of different places, but mostly I can be found at Kryptonite. And my email there is Donna underscore Tosi, T-O-C-C-I, at I-R-C-O dot com. And on the blog, which is unbreakable-bonds.blogspot.com. And you can also get me through my personal blog, which is very defunct at this point, but it will get better. And that email is tidbits at gmail.com. Excellent. That's great. And so you're just busy blogging, blogging, blogging. Not as much as I would like, but yes. (laughs) And Joe Beer, where can people find you? I'll keep it simple. JBST.com. Real good. And that's a great site for all your cycling, coaching, and training needs. And Carlton Reed, uh, where where are the myriad number of places you can be found? Uh, Blankbiz.com is for the breaking trade news story. Uh, quickrelease.tv there's the fluff and the videos and the, the photographs and uh, if you're really interested in uh, then uh, bikeforall.net which is a UK and bike industry uh, site on, on, on cycle campaigning uh, give me that website one more time Carlton bike for all and that's a F-O-R not a, not a digit dot net excellent okay we'll check that out and Tim Graw where can you be found you can find me at crookedcog.com and all the sites I run are right there at that site. Send me an email to tim at crookedcog.com. That's great. And I'm David Bernstein from the Fredcast Cycling Podcast at www.thefredcast.com. And you can send me an email to thefredcast at gmail.com. I want to thank all of the spokespeople today for joining us uh, for yet another show. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with yet another edition of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. I want to thank all the listeners for listening and for staying subscribed. Uh, Between this show and the next, get out there and ride.